Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Mark Watson. And I'm Michael Chakraverti. Welcome to Mankind. We talk to a fantastic range of guests about, well, masculinity. Where does it come from? What does it mean? And what is it, basically? Every week we loosely, very loosely, sometimes very loosely talk about issues around maleness, gender identity, that sort of thing. What makes people people, really? Exactly. It's kind of become habit as I introduce these now, which is probably good considering I get performance anxiety about starting the yeah, actual I think episodes. Exactly. That when the pressure's on, you, you have to turn to Watson. So maybe, you know, in this relatively soft environment, I'm happy for you to carry on. <laughs> so in this soft environment, I am Michael Chakraverty, he's Mark Watson, and this is still the Mankind Podcast. It still is. I, I reckon it always will be. I don't think we'll change the name of it now. It's quite, quite late to do a big full brand refresh. It is, yeah. We're past that. We part. get new pretty pictures each season, though, so that's quite nice. Oh, I like the way that the backdrop changes mm. at I mean, always sort of, he's got so many colours up his sleeve, that man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was about to say talking colourful sleeves, but I don't actually think our guest would ever really wear colourful sleeves. He'd certainly know whether it was appropriate to in a given situation. Indeed. Though. We have the etiquette coach and podcast host, William Hansen. Yes, you might think, I've never heard of an etiquette coach before, and so, so did we, I think. This is a, a, an episode like no other in some he ways. He is absolutely brilliant. We should mention, uh, we recorded this one, I think back in February, March time, which was, of course, before the news that Barry Humphreys passed away, sadly. So there'll be a reference to that as though Barry is alive. Well, this happens, I suppose, time passes and things happen like that. Yes, I suppose this will teach us to leave an enormous gap between recording and releasing episodes. But will we ever learn? Well, to be fair, it could have happened at any moment. I'm not going to blame past us for that. I suppose you're right. Why don't we... Well, let's be we kinder should, to past let's, us. Let's back ourselves. Right, enjoy this magnificent work by past Mark and Michael. Well, I'm being brave this week and I'm introducing the podcast, although it does make me quite scared to do so. As the regular listeners will know that I get quite feared to say these sort of things. But I'm Michael. This is Mark. There you go. That was absolutely that was good. smooth as all hell. People don't know if they already recorded this intro. And we had to this is your second again, go at it, admittedly. Yeah. Yes. Um, but we also have the lovely William Hansen with us this week. Hello, William. Hello. Thank you very much for having me, chaps. Well, thank you for coming along. How would you introduce yourself? Well, gosh, I am at my day job is as an etiquette consultant or etiquette coach. I work with people all around the world, advising them on the correct way to do things. And then off the back of that, because there aren't that many of me around, I then do the odd things here and there in the media, including my own podcast, Help I Sexted My Boss. Well, actually, I have two podcasts. Let's mention both of them. There's the sexted one, which is the one everyone listens to. And then there's the other one, which is on Keeping Up Appearances, which is a seminal programme in the whole homosexual community uh, and <laughs> now I, I didn't know about your other podcast and I don't think anything could have prepared me for it being keeping up appearances that you were about to say. <laughs> I know it's I'm stre- stretching myself for international listeners well actually international listeners may well be aware of it because Australia for example has keeping up I'm sure you'll know really, but just in case it's uh, slipped by anyone keeping up appearances is a um well I suppose 80s and 90s sitcom all about uh etiquette snobbery class vanity and so on and the mispronunciation of the word bucket yes if the the female protagonist is uh, hyacinth bucket pronounced bouquet the bouquet residents used to say things like that didn't she? sure <laughs> exactly it's, it's like she's in the room <laughs> it's a talent. it ran from 91 to 95 on the bbc it is the bbc's most exported and sold program mm. um so yes and as in the words of patricia Routledge, who plays uh, hyacinth bouquet she's very big in botswana oh 
The fact that it's the most exported show does tell you something about how people like to see Britishness, I suppose. Because have you seen Keeping Up with Parents? No, Perhaps but is Patricia Rutledge, is she the one that was on Miranda playing the mum? No, that's Patricia Hodge. Sure, but I got my Patricia's mixed up. I always do. You did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your uh, your focus in life is on correct behaviour and manners, I suppose. Yes, and, and just how we interact with one another. And, you know, etiquette, a lot of people think, oh, it's just how to behave at Buckingham Palace. And whilst, you know, yes, there is quite a lot of that, let's be honest, um, it is also about things like, well, how long do you leave it to change your password on your streaming service when you split up with someone? Oh. Uh, do you leave it a day? Do you leave it a week? Do you leave it a month? That felt like a multiple choice question. What do we think it is? A day, a week or a month? I, how I long mean, should yeah, you what leave would you it? Do? Well, a day feels a little bit brutal, I would I say. Think it would be a week that gives them time to watch what they, they can finish their series and then move on and often with the multiple choice it's the middle answer that you go i always for, go for the middle is that yeah. correct do we get it yeah i'd i'd leave it a week obviously if they've been a swine and they've had some sort of affair and they've broken your heart then fair enough to pull the plug immediately but if it's sort of just run its course and you've you've just gone in different directions uh then i think a week is absolutely fine what i think is interesting about this william is that you're it doesn't feel as if there. I mean, there must be sort of existing literature and norms out there, but I, I wouldn't say that there are answers, you know, definite answers out there to questions like that. So are you, uh, where does your radar come from for, I'm not saying how do you claim your authority, just what, what uh, on what do you base your kind of your, do you feel as if you've always had an instinct for etiquette or is it something that you, you are you constantly looking at what other people are doing or? I, yes, I think for you know for things like how to set a table, there are some fairly strict rules that have been set down and and tried and tested over the the thousands of years that we've been eating. Things like Netflix, uh, obviously, it's quite a new thing. So um, uh, exactly, yeah. The, <laughs> there, as you rightly say, so a lot of that it, it, there's an element of making it up as we go along. If I'm being honest, but I think it's using common sense the sort of the tenets of manners of being nice to people and also sort of looking at it in not so much in the Netflix instance, but looking at historical precedent and to maybe inform mm. how we behaved in the past to inform how we should behave in the future. And that's why it's very important to be aware of history because, you know, not all of it's obviously great, as we all know, but it can inform yeah, what we do famously. going forward. Yes. Cool. Okay, so we ask the first question? Yes. Yeah, but do you want is... to ask it? It's normally me. Uh, yes, you're welcome to ask the first question. I think you can do it. Very well. Uh, this itself is a matter of this etiquette. That was, way, that was manners then. Yes, Did you notice that? Are, so uh, polite. <laughs> well, you've already begun by saying thank you for having me on, which is one of the first times someone's done that. I think we yeah. knew immediately we were in the, we were in the <laughs> province of a manners man. Um, what rude guests you've had previously. <laughs> yeah, we've had 50 absolute arseholes on the Yes. Um, yes, what we like to ask, well, actually there are a few different ways we've, we've framed the question, but either when did you first become aware of masculinity as a concept or what does it mean to you now? What, what do you think of when somebody says the word masculinity? I'd probably say growing up, I didn't really have much of a concept of it other than in a very sort of black and white I am a boy type uh sort of very basic but you know hey I was seven or, or whatever then life life was not very nuanced age seven <laughs> yeah like life begins to get a bit more uh nuanced as we get older and, and I'm more aware of it and actually to go sorry I will talk about something other than keeping appearances but actually going back to the keeping appearances analogy <laughs> which there's no pressure to do that which, <laughs> which I which I first watched when I was seven this is sort of this again informs the masculinity thing because age seven you watch keep him appearances and you know there's an episode where she falls off the boat into the river and at age seven you're looking at it and you're going that's funny it's an old woman falling in in the river ha ha but then as you watch that show and you get older and you have more life experience you start to think oh hang on there's some very subtle class comedy coming or not very subtle actually but uh there's some there's some class comedy coming in here there's some nuance and i think the same goes for masculinity as well and probably it was probably in my teenage years at school. I went to a boarding school, which will come as some shock to people listening to this. And I, <laughs> um, and I think there I, I discovered... Actually, it was probably thinking about it. When I, I moved houses, I was a day boy, D-A-Y boy, um, at my <laughs> school. A big day boy. Biggest day boy you could get. And I was <laughs> in... Very, very day. Yes, and I was selected 
by a housemaster from a, from a boarding house to move houses from North Town into Mobilis. And Mobilis was a boarding house. And they were famous for winning all the sports competitions in the school. But what the competitions they didn't win were house drama, house debating, house music. And they needed someone to do a bit of culture. And so he, uh, he thought, was, I've, so got a, I've got a day boy who could do this. You yes. were headhunted for, for the more dignified house competitions. <laughs> this is... Um, was this Clifton College or a separate establishment? Yes, this was Clifton College. I, I, it caught my eye because, uh, well, we were rival schools. I went to Bristol Grammar School. and uh, I would never have agreed to do this podcast had I known that. I know. That's <laughs> why we're only telling you now. And uh, I suppose it's a breach of etiquette, actually, to spring this terrible knowledge on you, um, which means that... At least you weren't uh, Clifton High. No, no, I suppose they were your real uh, bet noir. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah. it means that uh, I will have driven... Well, perhaps we, our ages, I don't know how our ages overlap, but there will have been plenty of times I was um, metres away from you as you yes. uh, took part in these house competitions. But the, uh, at my school, we also had a house system, but you could not recruit someone from another house. That is, uh, that is a revelatory to me, let alone... And also, we didn't have boarders, and the idea of boarding fascinated me. You'd drive past Clifton College, and you'd think, in there, there are boys who live in there. <laughs> I found it very kind of... Um, Boardy boys. I'd read... Um, I'd read books set in boarding schools, like the Jennings books and things like that. But you thought of boarding school as somewhere you were sent far away to. Mm. The idea there were boarders just among us down the road. Like, <laughs> and I always wondered what the experience would be, how it would shape your experience of life to be actually living in uh, your school like that. Yeah, and I, I think maybe moving moving houses into a very testosterone-filled environment where everyone had been selected All to go to the house... Uh, no, uh, mixed boys and boys. No, it was it was right, mixed. Okay. No, it was mixed girls and girls and boys. But the houses were single sex. So moving then into where everyone was a rugby player and in the rugby team and behaving in a certain way that they sort of felt that rugby mm. players would have to. And then there's me going, oh, shall we have a rehearsal for the house drama? Probably. <laughs> this house believes that rugby is awfully rough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, probably was the first time that the difference had become obvious because the, the yeah. my friends in the day house, who I'm, I'm still very friendly with now, or some of them, probably... They weren't sportsmen. They they were just sort of average. That sounds rude to them, but you know they weren't they weren't excelling mm. in it. They were just very good sort of normal students. They didn't have a particular thing to hang their hat on. Yeah, Nobles was this sort of testosterone driven hothouse of of rugby finesse, and then there was me. So I guess that's when I started to realise, oh, okay, this is different. Not 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 different bad, but different to an advantage. And what was did the, you? Uh, by the oh, way, did you succeed in bringing any, any uh, trophies in? Did, did the big money signing work out for the? Yes, uh, the big money signing did. We won. We got very far in the house debating. I don't know if we won it, but we got much further than they'd ever got. We won three prizes for house drama the year I was in charge. There you go. <laughs> That's what you pay for. Exactly. So yeah. I've... Right. So you, you justified the you justified the hype as ever. Day by excellence. Um, exactly. <laughs> but. But you said um, you kind of noticed the difference between you and the other boys. And that was sort of in reference mm. to the idea of what masculinity looked like to you at the time. Mm. What kind of elements of those other boys did you recognize as masculine? And did you recognize that as being in opposition to yourself? Um, yeah, I, th I think the fact that they they clearly enjoyed the sport, which which I absolutely detested and hated but I sort of was slightly envious of it because sort of I had I had tried numerous times to enjoy playing rugby um for example or football whatever the sport was but predominantly rugby but I couldn't get my head around it so I suppose I sort of was I thought oh that's you know jolly good on them that they like all of that it looks horrific <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks I hate it <laughs> yeah so I, I kind of liked that in a way hmm. um and you know in many ways on paper one you know day boys like me should probably <laughs> enjoy throwing themselves at men's thighs and wrapping your hands around them um but not I think not they, put their heads, they get their heads clenched between the thighs quite we've a lot we've said it before they? actually that for uh, uh what has been a very uh, heterosexual sport rugby is remarkably gay hmm. in some aspects as well yeah but it's dirty. That's the problem. It's, it's oh, the dirt. Yes. You'd hate it, Michael. You'd, you can't mm. even get sand on your shoes. I don't like sand. And I um no. <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting for me because I, I sort of, as often in this podcast, have a foot in both camps. Because I was at uh, at my similar school. I I did like sport, but I was rubbish at it. And uh, so, similarly to you, probably debating. Debating is like sport for someone that can't catch a ball that well. Basically, it, it enabled me to be a. <laughs> suddenly, I felt like a footballer, but 
my, my football was words, <laughs> if you will. Nice. I like it. I, I think with the with the rugby thing and football in general, I mean, my I didn't know any of the rules. And I stand by the fact that schools, public, private, independent, whatever, shouldn't assume that all the children sort of cut you. You arrive at the school knowing how to play football, what the offside rule is, what all the different terminology is. Because I didn't grow up in a house. My father was not sporty at all. We didn't watch football. We didn't watch rugby. We didn't really play it in the garden um, or anything like that. So I didn't know any of this. I mean, football's quite sort of intuitive, but rugby is a game with all sorts of complex rules yeah. and rituals. There's absolutely no way you'd be able to just work it out by being put on the rugby pits. <laughs> it's mad. Yeah, yeah. And, and they should they should do classroom-based sports lessons where you they sit down with the blackboard and go, right, these are the rules. Yeah. This is what this means. This yeah. is what that means. This is what you do. And to be honest, teaching etiquette, it, it's exactly the same. There's no point me going, set a table if you don't know the rules. I have to teach someone how to set a table first. Mm -hmm. But in, in the, the, the sports teachers in any school, unless this has changed, correct me if I'm wrong, sports teachers listening, just sort of drop them push them into the deep end yeah. and go right go and play rugby at school I, like I made friends with the PE teachers so I didn't have to join in so I would end up having like a 45 minute gossip session with one of the teachers that's what, <laughs> what everyone else runs around and I'm busy talking about their holidays in the Maldives it was lovely I like the idea of uh, classroom <laughs> but I, I feel like I'd have been the best at football or rugby if it had never moved beyond the classroom uh, <laughs> I knew what you were meant to be doing I knew the history <laughs> yes interestingly you mentioned about your um your dad and your family not being necessarily that sporty as well so you've kind of got these two because I was kind of beginning to think if you're if you're kind of in opposition, I suppose, to the quote unquote masculinity, which is the sport competitive environment, does that begin to make you feel like, oh, perhaps I'm feminine because I, I don't match this. But then you also have that kind of model of masculinity in your father who you're saying wasn't that sporty. Mm. So how did that kind of sit with you? Did you always think there was more than one way to be masculine? I guess is the question. Yes, and and almost, I guess, certainly at a, at a at again at an unnuanced level, sort of ten un, at ten and under, it's almost like well, my, at that age, you sort of your parents are obviously sort of fantastic and they can do no wrong, and obviously that then changes as we get older. But you sort of, I'm looking at my actually my both my father and my grandfather, and I only knew one of my grandfathers, neither of whom were sporty. Hmm. So to me, that was normal. Not right. hmm. not all those sort of guys throwing, sort of going, and all that sort of sporty nonsense. Going like what, sorry? And that sort of thing. <laughs> and alongside all this, was your interest in, in etiquette and behaviour, was that already sort of hatching? Do you, do you see that as something that came out of your increased understanding of how people interacted at, at school or what? Yes. So I, my, my maternal grandmother gave me a book of etiquette when I was 12 for Christmas because, and I know this will come as a shock to, to you, Mark and Michael, but I was quite a precocious child. And she thought, <laughs> thanks for the laugh. She, she thought, she thought that, he's ready for an oddball Christmas gift. Yeah. So she gave me this, this book, one of it's the, it's the blue book behind me. Oh, and yes. uh, she gave me this book of etiquette and I'll be honest, I didn't jump at the chance to read it, but she sort of would, she used to stay with us at Christmas and she'd say things like, oh, have you read the bit about how to eat asparagus? Do you know how to answer the telephone yet? Blah, blah, blah. I don't and think many 12-year-olds have been uh, well-drilled on how to eat asparagus. I tend to think how else I would no. eat asparagus other than with a knife and fork. Oh, well, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a multiple choice. This is a whole dissertation. And uh, so I sort of start to, started to read it and thought, oh, it's quite funny, actually. Or it's quite quirky or I wanted to know why we had to do certain things it's all very well telling you to do something but give me the justification so I bought mm. more etiquette books and so by the time I was 16 uh, or 17 at school in Bristol at Clifton um, they were looking for someone to teach the younger years how to set a table so they came up to me and said oh could you just teach the the 12 year olds how to set a table next Tuesday and I thought oh okay well it's either that or do sport so <laughs> this was my salvation <laughs> yeah um so whilst all my friends were you know putting gum shields in their mouths and and doing scrums I was sort of worrying about how big the overhang was on the tablecloth on the tables <laughs> with the 12 year olds this and it really was is, great fun this is really it really is fun to think about I mean I, I knew people that tried to mm. dodge sport in all sorts of ways but it never occurred to any of us at 16 that the way out was to become an etiquette coach Th to this say. feels like a montage <laughs> section of a movie doesn't it like the jump cuts yes. between the, the gum shield being put on and then and the knife being kind of straightened you can see the montage ending in uh, the, the, <laughs> of the knife. Yeah. by the way um, 
Since we're on it, William, I, I don't do this myself, but I am a left-hander and some people, some of my fellow lefties set the knife and the fork the other way round from what's conventional. Yes. Is, is that a breach of etiquette or is that an alternative, a viable alternative? No, well, you're all God's creatures, so it's, it's absolutely <laughs> fine. <laughs> and I don't mean to feel Thank weird you. about it. Conventionally, the, the knives go on the right-hand side because that was the sword-carrying hand. Uh, and that, thus you would draw your sword with your right hand, and that's oh. why the knives go there. Um, if you, Let's say you were coming for dinner, or any left-handed people were coming for dinner. I don't then... I know sort of intuitively you think, OK, well, I know that Bob is left-handed, so I'm going to put the knives for him on the left-hand side. However, that then upsets the symmetry of the table, mm. and the whole point of a nicely laid table is it kind of looks the same. That was my I, I do understand that we are... I, I, I However... Just... <laughs> oh, sorry. It is okay for you, Mark, when you sit down, if you are eating in a left-handed ah. way, even if you're not left-handed, to just switch as you go along. You don't switch the setting; you just switch the implements when you come to use them. Fine. As it's I say, fine. it is moot in my case because I do hold the knife eat with your hands. in the conventional hands. Yes, also I, I don't use don't cutlery. Use cutlery all, just eats with his hands, tears it apart. But it's just <laughs> it's just nice to know where we stand. So a, a, an, a, an in-meal <laughs> relocation is fine. But what we weren't we yes. weren't actually going to book you in to just deal with Mark's anxieties around cutlery. But I mean, it's been helpful. No, but, <laughs> How often do we get a free session, almost free session with an ethical <laughs> Exactly. It's fine. Use me. Actually, I think it's interesting to ask um, who the sort of people are that regularly do ask you for... I, I know that you've worked around the world and, and things. What yeah. is the um, what is a typical etiquette client? Um, there isn't one, which is which is both pleasing and difficult for <laughs> sort of business development. Financially. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, ge it's generally nice people who want to be nicer. Um, is it, I never get the rude people because the rude people just don't get they're rude or don't care. They wouldn't care about no in, the first interest. place, I suppose. No. Exactly. Um, but I would do it. We do a lot within the UK. We do a lot of one-to-one -one coaching, so people that um, sort of in, in again in a bit of a keeping appearances way, net curtain twitching. They don't want <laughs> other people to know they have had etiquette training, right? So they want private classes as opposed to coming to group courses. Whereas in other countries, nobody has any qualms. They don't mind doing group courses. Um, or I'm working a lot with sort of law firms or banks to train mm. their graduates and how to eat. So when they're dining with clients, they're not eating peas off a knife, as was once seen at one very famous oh. bank who saw this and went, well, we can't have that again. Peas off a knife. Uh, no, that's, so that's... that's almost game over, <laughs> yeah. surely. Exactly. I, I've never actually heard of anyone do that other than in this instance. But now I work with that bank every year and do dining training and do you specifically say to that to those graduates please don't eat your knives off your off your, your knives off your peas and all you said then but that would be yeah. impossible <laughs> so that that one person's faux pas with the peas got you a, an annual gig faux, is, there, some, is there something in faux yes. faux pea faux pea we'll think about it in the, in the we can workshop on that <laughs> um, <laughs> we can uh, drop that by the way th this is all fascinating because most people never think that this is going on the idea that there are people not just having etiquette classes but smuggling an etiquette coach in privately the way that yes. else, with, a, with a sex worker or Something. Like Rebecca Vardy, eat your heart out. <laughs> William's got like a, a jacket over his head being smuggled into the back door of a law firm. Yeah. you think that would be quite poor to get, uh, really, but there we are. <laughs> um, I had a serious question, yes. not about peas. Or not, that, not that this no, isn't no. serious. Um, no, we jump around tonally. We do jump around tonally, I'm sure. If, if there's one thing we do, it's that. Um, my question was about, you're, you're in this school, which is um, very testosterone fueled and your mm. your your focus very much not on that and your focus on the etiquette side of things how did that mm. affect your relationship with your peers growing up yeah it's a ph phenomenal question i phenomenal. There was do you know what everyone always compliments my questions yeah but we've never had phenomenal phenomenal before. is the best oh, michael's gonna be talking about that for days. <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm thrilled thank you william that's great <laughs> it's it was when a school friend, a, a girl actually, um, who I'm still friends with today, and she, I, our library, I don't know, a sort of library slash computer room was was there was a mezzanine, right? And I I was in the sixth form. I had just started doing public courses in the school holidays. That the school had actually approached me and said, "Do you want to? You know, we'll pay you if you teach." In, and we'll do this sort of like subscription thing in the Easter holidays. And so there was a poster that went up to advertise this and with my face on it and this friend we'll call her Stephanie had seen this and with a group of our my peers were talking about this in a negative way they mm. didn't know that I was upstairs on the mezzanine level uh, the old I mezzanine problem this. beloved of uh, script yeah. writers <laughs> this is like it's it's giving teen drama <laughs> mezzanine is up there with toilet yeah. cubicle for places that in a script someone can overhear something bad that about must themselves. be heartbreaking though. <laughs> yes 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, and and this was you know this was a good friend. This wasn't one of you know the, the bullies or the sort mm. of the people I didn't have mm. any relationship with. I wouldn't care. Uh, if so, but it was someone I knew, and, the, and she was saying like, "Oh my god, have you seen what he's doing now? Yeah. Oh Oof. my god, what what's he doing?" And I had to go. I had to leave. It was a sort of sixth form. So I had a study period, which is why I was upstairs, and I had to then get to my next lesson. But I could not leave because I did not want to embarrass Stephanie by walking down the stairs. So I missed mm. that particular um, lesson just to be polite um, <laughs> to to stay up, upstairs until they had gone. Um, and actually, luckily, about five years later, when I saw Stephanie, she said, do you know what? I didn't really think that this etiquette thing would last, but you've sort of made it last. And she said, we, I had that redemption moment, thankfully. Mm. Yes, you've had a whole career um, to spite Stephanie is basically what we <laughs> Yes. But it, so so it, it affected it in that way because I started I started working, although I wasn't getting paid up until that, that Easter course whilst I was still at school. But I was a bit weird anyway, so doing etiquette was sort of just another level of weird. Mm. So I don't think it really affected people. I really love the idea you, you used your general weirdness as a Trojan horse to get more specific <laughs> weird choices. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, just make it your own. And when did you kind of kind of um, become aware of your sexuality? Was that the same time, roughly? No, I, I think I had my epiphany quite early on. I mean, I, right. I can remember sort of age, you know, sort of being younger, between, I don't know, seven and ten, knowing that I say something wasn't quite right. Obviously, I don't mean it as it sounds, but mm. just sort of conventionally, oh, I can't really see myself with a woman mm-hmm. uh, type of thing. I don't want children like mummy and daddy type of thing. And then as I got a bit older, realising what was perhaps going on. So I really, to be honest, by the time I was 14, I knew fully well what was happening and I, I came out to everyone when I was 16 wow. so I I was I was quite an early developer in that way um well there are many people obviously out. Being in a- sorry to interrupt William but because no. at my relatively similar school there was absolutely no culture of in inverted commas coming out and some of them must have been gay some of my contemporaries but so yeah was it a brave thing to do in the context or, or did People already sort of know, do you think? Oh, I mean, I had been called gay f- probably from age seven by, <laughs> right. by yeah. certain people. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I there weren't there, w- there weren't anyone that there weren't other homosexuals, lesbians, etc. At, at my school that I was aware of that were mm. out. Um, so it was, you know, like being the only gay in the village type <laughs> type of thing. There were de- there were definitely, you know, let's put it this way: there were definitely others that you know were gay that that i was fully aware of but there weren't that weren't out mm, right but there are a lot of boys that as uh, people do boy girl wh- whomever whichever gender uh or however they identify that were questioning mm-hmm. their sort of conventional attraction um of an evening let's put it this way it was a boarding sure. school i was aware of that <laughs> of an and i helped indeed. to mystify a few things for them um, <laughs> i wish so, the listeners could um, see the wickedness of william smile every time he uses a phrase like <laughs> demystify a few things oh those those day boys and those boarding well, houses <laughs> it's pretty much exactly what we thought it was like in boarding school it says that. Yeah. well not quite as much as you thought maybe not uh, you know, there was only just a a delicate smattering i can't talk for bristol grammar school obviously um but Yes, so there, there was that going on, but no, I was the I was the only one that was out and had uh, really in, in the grand scheme of things, it was probably pretty awful because I can remember telling telling my housemaster. I can't remember why I had to tell my housemaster, but I sort of felt the need to tell my housemaster. And quite frankly, it's not really his business, so I don't mm. really know why I did. But and he he was very supportive on the surface, um, but then afterwards, sort of said, "Oh, but FYI, if you do get caught with the boy, you know, I'm going to have to." expel you um which was a double standard sort of the next year when the person who got made head of school two years previously had been sort of just ticked off for having a nice time with a girl in the library so but obviously that was a girl so Mm. that's sort of fine my friend had a nice time with one of the Mm. teachers still got away with it in fact several nice times i believe sounds like waterloo road (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's more than 25 years ago and I'm still not using their name, so I think it's safe. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a statute of limitations. Sorry, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> but then what was quite nice, I went back to do some work at my school only five years ago and in my lunch break at the school, I thought, oh, do you know what? I'm going to search my school's Instagram sort of handle or, or location tag because obviously we didn't have Instagram when I was at school. And... I thought, I wonder, wonder what's what's happened and what's going on. And there were clearly, what I can only describe it, I saw three photographs separately, 
queens. I mean, they are either queens, they either know they're going to be queens, they're they're out and proud. They just, they were just, it was just so not what I would have seen and or how I behaved at my school. And then of course, about three months later, the school for Pride Month in 2019 flew the, flew the rainbow flag. And I wrote to the headmaster at the time saying, wow, that is so good yeah. because that would have really, I, I probably wouldn't, to be honest, at age 17 back then known what the rainbow flag was, but that sort of thing would have helped. And that's really good that you've done that. Well done. Mm. Um, oh, it's so, absolutely, yeah, it, it, it suggests a staggering change within a, not much more than a generation. Ooh. Because again, I, I knew the school that William's talking about. It was down the road from mine. Yeah. The idea that either that school or mine would have flown a flag in support of gay rights uh, when I was there is mind would have been mind-boggling. I, I, the fact that we didn't know what the pride flag was tells you how different the culture is. Now, we often talk about mm. how slow people are to accept change, but uh, across society, for for a, a historically posh and very male school to be flying a gay flag like that mm. is... Well, a, 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 you know, mm. a pride flag is it's, um, yeah, it's an amazing thing. Or, or the idea that people could now be, as you say, queens or future queens or be so open about it is... Mm. Again, total anathema to yeah. our school. Anathema, lives, I think. nice word there. Thank you, Michael. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's really interesting because often we hear people talk about um, boarding school experience, especially as young queer people, finding them really negative and really tough, hard places to be. But you seem to have quite fond memories of it. Is that accurate to say? Yes. Um, now, look, I, my parents lived 35 minutes down the road. So right. it wasn't like I was, you know, there wasn't, a, I wasn't in Scotland and they were in Devon or anything like that. Mm. It was, I was, I had the relative safety of that. But I, I, Overall, I had a lovely time at school. Yes, there were some there were some grim moments, but you know they're character building, and you know find me someone who didn't have grim moments yeah. uh, growing up as at, at school. And I think that's yeah. that we've is not, part. We've not of interviewed the one yet. There's obviously this, yeah. <laughs> quite boring to interview. Really, everything yeah. good? Yeah, sure, <laughs> good, great, fine. <laughs> yeah, we live for the grim moment. <laughs> so so yeah, no, I, I I had a lovely time at school. I miss it. It was a shame we had to do the lessons, <laughs> but everything else was quite fun. Moving the conversation on a bit to the the present day because obviously we're very specifically interested in um male behavior female behavior however that's defined do you find that there's a difference in the way that men and women uh approach etiquette like uh, do men have for example more of a reluctance to be taught things or is there do they bring an ego to it that women don't mm. have again that is a phenomenal question ah one one so oh to each of so mark doesn't I, often get compliments i didn't questions. think i'd get an equalizer no that's um, a great moment he I'm looks up a little thrilled bit straighter <laughs> in my chair i must say we're two phenomena how polite of him to give you both of us was it politeness or was it just that i dug deep and found another gear like champions do you could have dug dug deep about 50 episodes ago especially yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least i'm getting somewhere now uh, we do we do work a lot with, uh, with many more women than men hmm. um i think men have have a slight um oh well i'm a man type attitude or, right. or or feel that etiquette is 
feminine and they see books on heads and flower arranging and they think that's what we're going to do mm. and I mean that is a large part of what we do on your head and tell you how to walk um, but actually the book on head thing is just as useful for men if or, or people wearing flat shoes I mean you mm. don't have to be wearing high heels to stick a book on your head so uh, yes generally we get a lot more women it is beginning to change it and actually how we market actually this is an interesting point from a masculine point of view how we market certain courses if we are doing social skills we call it social etiquette whereas when I'm going into corporates we have to call it business protocol because mm. protocol is a slightly more masculine sounding word and the HR department whether they're male female or, or whatever will sort of think yes business protocol is what we need whereas oh gosh if we were doing business etiquette they are just going to be doing books on head getting in and out of cars without flashing something type of thing I so think it's, that's it, it, I guess there is a I mean, that really is very there. revealing of corporate culture obviously but just uh, uh, fascinating that a uh, a mere change of words and it can become more of a proposition. It reminds me of recently, you might have seen, oh, perhaps not because you're not on Twitter now, Michael, but there was recently a um, someone tweeted a picture of a, as a course of, in yoga, but advertised it, you know, big, hard American men who think they're, and it basically said, so it, it was an extremely butch looking guy doing a yoga pose and um, underneath it said something like yoga, pure muscle, no spirituality. And that, uh, that amazed me the idea that um that there's a whole there's a whole market of people like i'm I'm interested in yoga but spirituality is it's a similar sort of thing a, a tweak in the framing and suddenly men are like hey, yeah, yeah, that's fine I'll, I'll do protocol but i won't do etiquette I'll, I'll do stretching but i'm not doing my spirit not, yeah leave my spirit alone um if you're mm. when you're teaching your classes do you find there's more of a resistance in men or male male identifying people do you find that yeah among the men who do come to you are they, do they comport themselves differently there's a, i guess there are two types of service that we do one where it's sort of a, a public set date on mm. wednesday at nine o'clock we're doing etiquette and people have self-enrolled themselves mm. normally anyone of whichever gender are fine with that because they have they pay the invoice they want to be there <laughs> yeah but then when we are going into a, a a school a corporate wherever where someone else has asked us to come in normally there you get a bit of um, reluctance to mm. begin with, mm. um, and 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 from 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 people of ha any walk of life or any gender, you do get a bit of reluctance. But normally, after about half an hour, they're okay. They we kind of get there in the end when they see that it's relevant. But I think it's you know if I started talking about uh, Louis the Fourteenth in the first half an hour and how <laughs> the rules of, of etiquette were codified then that we have today were codified then they'd, they'd run a mile whereas you, you have to make it relevant to them very very quickly yeah I don't normally open with the Louis the 14th stuff either no <laughs> I don't know who Louis the 14th was the Sun King you can guess he was a French king probably a French king yeah sure right yeah that would make sense yeah that matches what I would have with a, a fairly substantial court and anyway we don't have time for Louis <laughs> the whole point <laughs> <laughs> the second question we ask everybody is about good examples of masculinity and who do you who do you see as good examples of masculinity? Oh, um, well, I, I think again going back to school, sort of my my role model outside of my family was my English teacher, Mister Binns, who um, great teacher name, how, of course, by how, the way. Yeah, fantastic! <laughs> it's a fantastic name. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about his background and or, or how he identifies with sexuality, but you know, I had my suspicions, mm. and he was incredibly erudite, very well read, led a bachelor lifestyle. Um, and I'm seeing where these suspicions came from. Said with a classic William Hansen twinkle there, that <laughs> phrase. <laughs> I hope it does. I mean, he's still alive and I still write to him. So, I mean, I hope Mr. Binns doesn't listen to this. Or if he does, he's not, if he does, he's, he's not offended. Um, but he, he was a huge role model in how he used language as almost as a weapon um, and his, his sort of comic timing. Uh, was was particularly good. I always remember him um, in our first ever lesson with him for first year of GCSE English, and uh, Alice uh, Alice Holland, if she's listening to this, Alice Holland <laughs> uh, was sort of trying to hole punch some handout they'd given us, and the hole puncher had stopped working. He went, oh, Miss, Mr. Binns, Mr. Binns, the 
the hole punch it's got a thingy stuck in it and he turned around and went lucky hole punch and I thought that was hysterical you don't get that in your first lesson in too many schools I guess. no that's brave material I don't know if many people got it but I at that point I just went I'm going to love Jesus the English <laughs> what was her name again sorry the, the pupil Alice Holland Alice Holland Alice Holland so uh, if Alice Holland or Mr. Binns is listening, we'd love to hear from either. <laughs> <laughs> Alice Holland may not even remember that. Um, but yes, it was that that was that was he was my role model. And still, when I write to this day, whether I'm writing an article or, or a book or whatever, I still have Mr. Binns in my mind. Mm. Um, and again, he didn't do any of the sport nonsense. So he, he was a big role model there i always love it when people choose teachers i must say because my own father's a teacher and i generally mm. feel that teachers oh. are undervalued well and the, the, it's why i went to bristol grammar school it was, a, it was a, a financial dodge involving my dad just working there for 25 years <laughs> <laughs> it's a very very long game played by my dad in, uh, but yes I, I i often feel that we don't take time to talk about the teachers that had a, a positive influence yeah. upon us and it really is a, a defining influence in some mm. cases yeah, and what was your dad's subject? Oh, he was a chemistry teacher, and I didn't. I was Ooh. shit at it. <laughs> I also was uh, <laughs> a, a, English and languages were um, I think I, but I worked disproportionately hard in chemistry so as not to let him down. But I couldn't understand. I couldn't really understand why he'd ever got interested in the first place. But he seemed to keep him happy. <laughs> I don't think I had any. I mean, there's a couple of teachers at my school, like male teachers. There were a couple I think we knew were gay or were adjacent or like not not the the butch man that you didn't feel like you could approach or anything like that but generally it was female teachers for me that were the kind of the ones that you kind of looked up to more i suppose i had various teacher role models that were mostly women as well yeah interestingly and- actually at primary school we had a teacher um who i won't name just in case um but he he his joke was that he was angry and that was his running thing was that oh you don't want to get on the wrong side of this teacher let's call him mr paul um and looking back and i never actually thought about that before but the the joke was that he was a toxic man yeah. <laughs> that was the joke the joke was he's just a horrible person the joke was <laughs> that he was awful and horrible and that your goal was to try and get on his nice side and that's actually not a very good way to be a teacher role model is at, it? at all but a lot of teachers have done that over the uh, a lot of teachers have ruled by fear i suppose on the other hand there were teachers who similar to what william said actually could use uh controlled anger or reproach as well the idea of language as a weapon i i love that notion because that's kind of how i've looked after myself in life as well and i've just remembering we had an uh english teacher who was an american woman called mrs hutton and one day she was displeased with us as a class because everyone had handed in half-assed essays and she looked us in the eye and said a trained chimpan fucking z could do better <laughs> and um it was so well judged because like you'd never heard a teacher swear like that you never but all of us felt told off but also told off in a cool way it's like <laughs> we would we were ashamed of ourselves because she was in her presumably cool house looking down on us yeah. it really worked no one ever let her down again so it's very interesting how a, a teacher can judiciously use anger well which is something we talk about sometimes yeah yeah for sure channeling mm. you would nearly mention somebody else william that we started talking about teachers Yes, I, I guess popular culture examples of of masculinity that I I look up, looked up to. Um, I obviously keep in appearance there aren't very many strong men. I mean, there's Onslow, but he's quite weak, really, in in a way. So I didn't really look up to him. But I loved all you know the good life. Are you being served, Mister mm. Humphreys? Um, was was a, I loved how he dressed, and if you don't know I being served, you're really missing out. It's hysterical. It's brilliant. This has been great for me because most of the time you won't know William, but this podcast is littered with references to mm. maybe rappers or influencers, and Michael has to talk me through it. But here we're talking about old sitcoms and Louis the Fourteenth. <laughs> <laughs> At last, my episode has come. <laughs> uh, actually, the guy in the Good Life was a, you probably haven't seen the Good Life. I have seen, seen the Good Life. Uh, he's, he's, the one on the he's a very agreeable example of a male role model, I think. So, yeah. Um, hearty masculine but also loving tender yes so so it was it was that really um and and those were and then sort of later on in life i quite like julian clara's comedy graham norton to a certain extent although more so as a as a you know he's although he is a comedian he's now really a television presenter um barry humphreys as dame edna um, actually, Barry Humphreys. Through that, I never got the I got never got the other Barry Humphreys character, or one of the many other Barry Humphreys characters of Les Patterson, until I saw him do Les Patterson on stage. Watching YouTube clips, I never got it. I thought, oh, God, that's a bit dull. But actually, mm. then when I 
saw it in the room, mm. I suddenly got it and found it very, very funny. But let's be honest, Dame Edna is the main attraction and that's that's how he's made his name, really. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the one I, I love. Yeah, Steve Coogan did a tour that was called Alan Partridge and some less successful characters. And uh, <laughs> you've reminded me of that a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Julian Clare is a really interesting one because he his comedy is that he's separate and that he's sort of observing everything and seeing something that not everybody's seeing and that's whether that's in the innuendos or anything like that but i find him really interesting as a person to watch because he he's a very powerful man but he's a powerful man by doing next to nothing and that's what gives him that power he doesn't engage in things that aren't necessary for him to engage with other than to raise his eyebrow i'd love to talk to clary actually oh he's fab yeah Yeah, he's really a great uh, example and what about now who do you look up to now gosh um oh that's this is deep um who do I look up to now? Um, it can be anybody. It doesn't need to be a man. Um, I mean, I look. Up, I do look up to m- to my parents much more so than I probably ever did. Mm. Um, I love their relationship. I find them hysterically funny. Growing up, I did not find <laughs> that funny. Mortifying. Your parents are a bit of an acquired taste, humour wise. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're, they are just—they're the weirdest people I've ever met. <laughs> Thank God that you know. My, I've said I've talked about this on my own podcast and on our Thank radio. Thank God you turned up so normal. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, I am quite normal in, in comparison. But my mother has never turned on her own shower. She—I mean, growing up, she must have done. But in her married life, she gets my father to turn the shower on for her. Amazing Brilliant. statistic. Um, <laughs> Is it a, a sort of a, like a, a superstition or a? a, a a dislike no, of it or just... no she just she just thinks turn on the shower for me husband <laughs> type, type of thing every time though every day every day every day she or she has a morbid fear of chrome i don't i don't know <laughs> she she just and i only found that out last year and i went sorry sorry what that's when even she, better I heard her ask my father to do it that's yes. even better that that's just that's been going on presumably for their whole life but i love that your father's doing it yes he's like yeah of course do we know so, if, compliant. Um, so compliant do we know if there's a sort of tit for tat thing where your mum always like butters bread or something for your dad or is there a, is there an equivalent no i mean she keeps a nice house so i mean he he probably has a nice 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 lifestyle she's also never used a, a cash point oh never used a cash never point. used I a cash it was just point. the queen that was in no. that category the late queen no well my mother's very similar and uh, she <laughs> she will just go to my father's bedside drawer where he keeps his cash and withdraw whatever she needs and then say to my father i've taken 20 pounds uh, and that's that's her own personal cash point your your, your mum uses your dad's side of the bed as a, an atm <laughs> i've heard everything now. <laughs> that's lovely we, we, we actually got to the end of our end of the podcast already um time wise yeah time wise in terms of the scope uh, of conversation we could go off in any number of directions you never know you never know this could be the last one <laughs> we'll, never, we'll never know um what three qualities would you build into a person for them to kind of thrive in this world um and you can say you can answer that with a sort of etiquette uh, coach head on, or just in more general as an observer. For example, life, never turning on a shower—that could be something that they need. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say gentleness, generosity, and loyalty are three attributes that I look for in people. I don't think we've had loyalty before. No, but it's very loyalty is. Yeah. Could you mm. expand on that one? Yes, in in that if. You know, I love a good old bitch most of the time. I I love bitching about my friends uh, and whatever and th- irritating things that they have done. <laughs> yeah. How, obviously, I don't. You know, if they tell me an absolute secret, I don't. I don't talk about that. And you make sure there isn't a mezzanine in the in the, in the location that you're in. There's no mezzanine exactly. that they could be hiding on. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll only ever say I'll only ever bitch if I would say it to their face. Sure. Which is always a rule of thought. And actually, normal I'm bitching because they have to something to irritate me, and I will tell them that they have done something to irritate me or. Or slight me, so I will I will deal with it rather than let it fester. Mm. But actually, if someone starts to say something unfair about one of my friends, I normally am the first person to jump to that friend's defence or see the other side uh, or try and put it. You know, say, "Oh yeah, but have you considered X?" Yeah, um, and I do try to do that myself as well. So I, I like people who are sort of know know what they stand for know what they want other people to stand mm. for and sort of stick to that yeah, yeah. rather than jumping on bandwagons or taking up a hobby because x person's doing it or it's fashionable i just sort of like people to be who they are to know where they're going in life and be confident and just a nice person a bit of loyalty to, to yourself as well isn't it in that there's a yeah. bit of loyalty to yeah. what you want and, and who you are the, idea that eti- the word etiquette actually covers the broader scope of human behavior really the way we interact with each other the way we uh 
make way for each other, make space for each other. In yeah, life. that's a really nice way of looking at it. Yes, well, you can use that in your marketing, William, if you... Uh... <laughs> thank you so much. I, I, I will. <laughs> Clip that one out. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, William. Where can people find you and your podcasts? Especially this Keeping Up Appearances one. I reckon our <laughs> listeners will be all over that. <laughs> um well it's in uh go to my instagram and then click the link in my bio and it's one of those clever things that comes up with numerous things so that's that's probably the best place or williamhanson.co.uk and what, what's the at for your instagram oh i'm at william hanson etiquette very nice yes i don't think anyone else is going to try and take that they, they exactly I, I don't know who's got at william hanson Wish them dead. <laughs> and that's a nice way and to end if it. If you're listening, we'd love to hear from you as well, the other William Hansen. <laughs> Thanks so much, let's, William. Let's give him an especially glowing thank you because of the nice way that he thanked us. Oh, yes, you've been phenomenal. Yes, you also have been. You've been, oh. part, you've been part of a triumvirate of phenomenon. Michael. <laughs> uh, William. Well, I'm Michael. And uh, give my regards to the, uh, to the rival school next to time. The yeah. To the Bristol Massive. To the Bristol Massive. Massive attack with Bristol Massive, I suppose, but... Thanks very much, William. You were great. Thank you. Thank you. And that was the wonderful William Hansen. That was a Zoom interview, which we haven't actually done many of this time round. No, mercifully, we're now able to meet people much more mm. um, frequently. But it, all it means is there's a little bit of a lag. And I seem to remember quite a number of moments where he would refer to something to do with keeping up appearances. <laughs> and then I would try and explain what it was to you, but he'd already started saying something else. Yes, yeah. indeed. I still haven't watched that, actually. I probably should get into that. I don't know that you definitely should. I've been trying to watch Survivor recently. That's my current thing. Do you know about that? Well, like... As oh, in, you famously did that, kind of, on the uh, island. Yes, as in the one where they, they win a million quid by... By being awful to each other on an island. I remember Survivor from... But this is a long time ago now that I was watching that. There's, yeah, it's, it's currently on series 44. Christ, yeah, so it is all the same It's a bit of a commitment. Show. Bit of a commitment. But uh, yes, you're right. My appetite for shows where people wash up on desert islands is fairly low these days for various... Well, for one I'm reason. still hungry, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, would you like to plug anything? Well, I suppose when people listen to this, we are starting to creep towards the Edinburgh Fringe. So I, I will just say, although it's hard to not know this if you follow me or uh, I suppose Alex Preston or both of us, but there are a lot of Edinburgh Fringe shows currently on sale. Either there's me, but there are also lots of other shows that I'm working on as uh, in my other role as producer. So um, go to Impatience website. If you, I, I can't say you'll necessarily all of them will be up your street, but if you like the sort of thing I do... We're not doing a live one of Mankind, are we? Because you're just Not yet. It's not impossible that could happen. We haven't really had that conversation yet. It feels no. like a strange place to do that on the outro I suppose of a so. podcast. But... Good, good tease, though. Good tease. <laughs> yeah. I also have another podcast called Sticky Bun Boys, which is still going. Do you find us over at... What are you laughing at? Just You said that with a certain weariness, but we all know. Yeah. So you... <laughs> I enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, oh, you, you, it's obvious how much you enjoy it. But actually, it's quite an achievement that it's still going, given that there hasn't been any new Bake Off for a long time. No, but there is a, a large there's, back There's a huge amount to get through. Plowing on through, mercilessly. You won't run out of Bake Off. And there's and other... There's there's new other, ones. They do, they Arguably do. Arguably, they should stop, but that's a separate I think it'll still be going in 20 years' time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Prue will be in her hundreds. <laughs> it, shall be, it shall be an animatronic by that point. It'll just be her spouting out, worth the calories. Uh, uh, Paul easily could already be an animatronic, I would have thought. <laughs> Arguably already is. <laughs> um, we'll leave you with that thought then, I think, I think for this week. Yeah, that was nice. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 